Nothing is hidden. God puts it all out there in the Bible. It's all right there. He spells it out. It's been spelled out for 2,000 years. And even in the time of John, the Old Testament had been written for hundreds of years. And it's just very simple and it's very clear about it. Whether we choose to search it out, that's up to us. But there's no hidden knowledge. How do you get... Actually, actually, just this last week, um, this, I think it's this morning, I was going to say last night, but this morning, I got on YouTube to watch a video, and the advertiser before it, this guy's saying, comes up and says, um, do you know the, how to get into the kingdom of God? The keys to the kingdom. And I'm like, oh, that sounds like cool. I'll listen to this. And then he goes, I'll show you the hidden knowledge that has been hidden away by this person and that person for thousands of years so that when the end times happen, you'll know the keys and you can go get into the kingdom. And I'm like, okay. Yeah, the second it's hidden knowledge, you got a problem. Because Jesus said very plainly and very clearly, you must make yourself as these children to be able to enter. Meaning... Children can understand it. Well, children don't have the ability to go through all these occult rituals and find this hidden knowledge. Children don't have the ability to, even that, I study Greek and Hebrew and all this stuff. Children don't know how to study Greek and Hebrew and all these things. They have faith. They believe their, their parents are out to help them. They, we need to believe that God is out to help us. They believe that, you know, to a little kid, their dad is Savior. You know, their dad is Superman. We need to believe that we have a Savior in Jesus Christ. It's that. It's really that simple, and it's all out there. We have to be like kids. So as soon as people start coming in and start telling you their secrets that you have to learn, you can pretty much immediately discount what they have to say. Pretty much. Yeah, but unfortunately, we as people, we like to feel exclusiveness. We like to say, oh, there's an exclusive club that I'm a part of. I'm a member of the Lions Club. I'm a member of the, and no offense to the Lions, I think they're great people. The Moose Club, all the... Again, those are little fraternities, and it's nice to have that community. But somebody who's a member of a moose club is no different than a person walking down the street. They're all human. God looks at them all the same. There's no difference. You can have your little clubs. We have our families that we feel comfortable in, but God sees us all the same. So we like to feel exclusiveness, but that has nothing to do with God. We can't impose our feelings back on God. God is God, and we're not. It's the way it is. So as soon as people start telling you their secrets, sir, only I can tell you the real, the real truth. If somebody tells you, I'm the only one who knows what the scripture really says, again, you can immediately discount them. Because there would not be thousands and thousands of preachers out here preaching the word effectively and getting people saved and doing the will of God if there was any exclusivity about it. Anybody who wants to read the Bible can read the Bible and know what it says. Uh, the Koresh, yeah. And that was, people followed him. He mm -hmm. memorized the Bible. Mm -hmm. He was like a teenager or something. Yep. And he, you know, he misquoted it all the time. Right. He was, he was doing all kinds of sins. Yep. Crazy you know, stuff. Crazy stuff, and people still follow him. It's not right. wrong with this picture. Right. And it, but that is a symbol. That's a sign that people are looking for something. We all have a hole in our heart that we're looking to fill. And we'll fill it with different things. And one of the things that is comfortable is when somebody comes to you and says, you're special. 
it's a really tough, it is a tough sell that Christianity has. Christianity is very different than a lot of other religions. Buddhism will say, oh, you have to look inside yourself, you have to meditate and do these things and all this stuff. And then, you, when you're, when, you know, it's, it's very few people might ascend to this consciousness level. So it's a very exclusive club. Christianity is one of the very few ones that says, God died, Jesus died and did it all for us. We don't have to do anything more. And therefore, nobody is any, all that more special than anybody else. And you say, well, I'm not special. Not really. God did all the work for us. It's nothing we did. So it's really putting everybody on the same level, playing field, rather than making some people more special. But when you have a leader who's charismatic, like a David Koresh, who just... He was a good-looking guy. He spoke well. He had a real command of the English language, probably because he had the, English, the Bible memorized. He could use that poetry and stuff for him. And then he goes around telling all these women how beautiful they are and how great they are, and these guys are mighty men of God. And you know, and he would explain to the men that they were, you know, like David's Gibberim, the mighty men of David. And so there's, oh, you're the mighty men of God, and all these things. Use all these terminology that makes you feel good in your heart. You really do. You feel warm in your heart. So, yeah, it's real easy to follow people and get, but again, that, that just points to the fact that we're all looking for God. We're all looking to fill a need. Well, in that, in, you know, 90, 91 AD, when John was getting ready to write this in his late 80s, it was pretty much the same thing. The only exception is they didn't have the internet. So information moved a lot slower. So when errors got into the church, they stayed around a lot longer. And so he finally decided, John was not a very educated person. In the book of Acts, when he was pre him and Peter were preaching, they go through and they say, how are these men so wise and saying all these deep things? And they know the Old Testament so well. Because all they're doing is preaching Christ. And the people are going, oh, they're quoting the Old Testament. They were just talking about Christ. That's because the Old, Old Testament talks about Christ. But they're saying, how could that be? Because these guys are, they're ignorant. They, the way they speak, the words they used, they weren't putting sentences together properly. So you could tell they were uneducated. They couldn't even speak. When they would spoke in Greek, it was broken. It sounded like we would think like an immigrant speaking. Because, of course, their native tongue was Aramaic, so they weren't even speaking in their first language. It would be like me trying to speak Spanish. I sound like a toddler. It's not very good. But so John finally decided in his older age that, you know what, he's one of the last people alive that's seen Christ. He needs to dispel some of these rumors, and some of this stuff. So when he put pen to paper and write, he, he's writing both to correct errors and at the same time to get people sort of on a realization, a self-realization of how you are, who we are, and how we align with God. So we're going to start with the first verse. That's all as pretext. We're going to start with the first verse. And I'm just going to read right through the first chapter. And then we'll kind of go back over. In the first verse it says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship in us or with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father 
and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This, then, is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. See, the issue being here is immediately you can see he's issuing, touching a lot of topics that we still to this day face. He goes straight from the fact of that, you know, he's making a testament that he's one of the people who actually saw, touched, heard, you know, Christ. So he does have a little bit more insight than your average person walking down the street. But at the same time, he's going through and he's he's dispelling like that the Gnostic concepts, which was that, you know, they're taking all, the Gnostics do this thing, and they're still around today. People don't realize the Gnostics still exist today. It's all these people you'll see online that are saying there's, again, hidden knowledge or hidden ideas. And that is, they'll take our terminology and they'll change it, or they'll say these words don't quite mean what we think they mean. They use the words differently. So the Gnostics were big on doing this thing where they would use the term the Logos, or the Logos, which means the word, spoken word, Logos, Logo. And the thing is, is when we think of the word, we think, you know, oh, Christ, because he spoke everything in existence. He is the word of God. He, you know, he, he injected himself into this creation, and he is the word of God. But they're making the word, as in the Logos, mean something different. It's one of a, a bunch of gods, of you know, eight different gods that all work together to sort of in this pantheon that's sort of like this group of gods. And there's male and female gods, and each one has a consort. So one's married to the other. So you have Hermes and and uh, um, Sophia, and they're a couple, and all this stuff. And so they're using our terms. They would use the term Holy Ghost. They would use the term the Word, the Logos. They would use the term Christ. Uh, they used all these different terms, but they used them very differently. And even that, they would use the term like in Luke, where it says uh, um, that uh, Gabriel came to Mary and the Holy Spirit overshadowed her. They say, well, that term overshadowed is actually a sexual connotation, meaning that like they slept together or something. So they'll use the same word. They'll let it be the same word. They'll just change what the word means. Overshadow, which kind of means to lay on somebody. So they take that term and make it as an innuendo. And so John is very much to say, okay, the words that they're saying, I'm going to use the same words, but I'm going to explain better what they mean. Now, right away, John does this thing, where, whether it's in, in the epistle or the gospel of John, uh, he talks about, you know, in the first verse where it says, 
That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled, of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifest unto us. So if we go back to John 1.1, John first verse, and first chapter 1, one you'll see that this is a consistent thing that John's talking about because he is dealing with this issue of the word, with the light, with because we, we all accept like, oh, well, God's light. Yeah, we do, but if we have different meanings behind what the word light means, then we're going to see it differently. <laughs> we're going to think of it differently. So, like in John 1.1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. So, we're saying that, we see that he's using the same term, the Word, the Word. Why? Because he's addressing a misconception that the word, the logos, whatever, is an invented being. They're saying that there's this God above that is unknowable, and then there's this other, he made other little gods to sort of do his job for him. And so John is taking this moment to use the same terminology they use, the word, the logos, these sorts of things, and he's saying, in the beginning was the word. So the logo. So he's saying their term. And he goes, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So he's saying they're one and the same. They're the same being, both God. Now one manifests differently, different personages, but they, they are one God. And so again, he uses his own term, their own terminology against them when doing these sorts of things and when doing this. Well, and you see how that if, we just will go through a little bit more with this, how that it says, all things were made three, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the darkness shined, or the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. So we see that, again, and these he's addressing how he said, oh, well, there's a hidden knowledge. Here, let's go to this dark back room and I'll show you this hidden knowledge. He's making the point, all good things are done in the light. Light is the best disinfectant. Bring your actions out to the light and you'll see who people really are. In, it, in God, there is no darkness. So all things said about God can be said in the light. There's nothing negative. There's no dark. And the darkness can't even comprehend it. it doesn't, darkness doesn't just not like light. When you shine light into darkness, the darkness recoils. It, it literally runs away because there is no, they two can't exist. So anything done in the darkness, that's where John's getting. Anything done in the darkness is not of God. God works in the light. God, you have to be in the light and you have to be willing to be open. Anytime there's a hidden truth, nope. And Peter make, and John makes it very clear about this. Now, and remember, the thing is, this reason why John and these are written this way is because back then, they're writing the Bible. Nowadays, you have a person explaining the Bible, but when they were writing it, they had to say what they meant. <laughs> because they're not going to have, who's going to explain the Bible to them? 
Well, the Bible was explaining itself to them. The Bi- I tell that to people all the time. People say, well, how do I understand the Bible? If you read it, if, and if you keep reading it, and if you didn't read it the first time, read it a second time. If you didn't, if you didn't understand it the second time, read it a third time. It will explain itself. And if you don't understand the Gospel of John, flip back into the, the epistles and read the, the book of the, the letters of John. If you don't understand Romans, keep reading. Eventually, Paul will explain what he said. If you read something you didn't get, it'll explain itself. One of the craziest things the Bible does is it actually tends to explain itself in the next verse. A lot of times there'll be a verse, and if you don't get it, just keep reading. The next verse will pretty much explain it. And it's like the one people they say it's like a built-in dictionary. If you see something you don't understand, just read the next line because it'll you know it'll say something like and a word it could even be like for the King James a word we don't use in our current thing. Like Paul says they, the selling of the the selling in the shambles. You say, well, what's a shambles? We said something's in shambles. We're talking about being a mess. Well, he also says, and them that sell the meat in the shambles. So clearly, where do you sell meat? A meat market of some sort. The shambles is a meat market. There you go. He just explained himself, you know, very clearly. Now, you don't have to necessarily know the word or understand the word or whatever it is. Everyday life, we read things we don't always get. You read the paper, they might use a word that you didn't see before. You just kind of jump over it and you understand the context is whatever it is. So, you know, even when there's a word you don't understand, just keep reading. The Bible, it'll open up if you try. It it really will. It's nice to have teachers who will go and expound on things. But at the same time, the the word is accessible to each person who wants to read it. it. It will be. And it's just like Romans 12 says, each person according to his his ability his faith and his ability. Some people will read and they'll only get a little bit throughout their entire life. But that might be all they need. Some people can read and understand it real clearly. And that might be because they need, like me, I feel like I need all the extra information. I'm not a simple faith sort of person. Like I wish my grandmother was a simple faith woman. She, she'd say things that you're like, wow, that is some deep theological stuff. And she didn't know what the word theological meant. She just knew that that's what the Bible said. That's what it meant. Me, I need all the deep stuff. I need to keep reading, and I need all these, these deep, I need, to, I need to know all this extra information because to, to soothe my mind, because my mind, it's question, I question everything. And if I didn't have all this extra information, I'd have doubts. So I need it. Well, God is gracious enough that he's given me the ability to read and the Bible is deep enough that as long as you're willing to keep reading, you're going to keep finding more stuff. So, again, Paul, uh, John is making sure that we understand that if you have any ability to, to really read and listen to what he's saying, he's going to tell you. He's going to make it very clear to us. And one of the things John does is because he speaks so simple, he'll kind of give you both sides of the coin. He'll say, well, you need to you know, be cleansed of your sin. But if you have, say you have no sin, then you're lying. Because some people say, well, I've been cleansed of my sins, so I'm perfect now. Yeah. No. So, um, so we'll go back to the epistle of John in third, uh, third verse of the first chapter. It says, uh, third and fourth verses. That which we have seen and have declared we unto you, that ye may have fellowship with us, 
And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. See, again, this is one of these things where when, when as soon as you can tell when someone starts preaching heresies or starts bringing stuff in, one of the first things you'll notice is people start getting very, not that they don't feel uncomfortable, because a lot of people get uncomfortable when you preach against sin, but they'll get very, you'll see people, their joy will go away. Their joy in their, in their salvation will go away. That's because there's doubts being introduced. And the purpose of this, the purpose of it should be to make the, your joy full. That's why God gave it. So you can, even in the worst of moments, even if you were a slave in Saudi Arabia, you can still have joy in knowing you're saved. You can still take, you know, Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, even if your entire life is going to be that of a tortured servant, you might as well accept it and give all glory to God because that's what you get. That's the best you can do is glory in the fact that you got, you got an eternal place. That might be all you have. So this should be, the purpose should be to make it in such a way that you're allowing people to have joy and rest as Christ says, you know, his, his yoke is easy. Rest, joy. These are things that you should be able to get. You should be, you should be able to have comfort in the Bible, comfort in the words of Christ. So John is writing because he wants the joy of the people, the people who have before, be able to just have confidence. Because generally, when you have joy, you're having confidence in the experience or in the moment that you're at. Um, we're going to continue reading just because I had a few note, extra notes, but I'm not going to go there because I'm a little wordy tonight. Uh, verse 5 says, This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. See, this is another one of these situations where it's just a, it's sad, it's a sad state of our church to where you'll see there are entire denominations that are built around the fact that you can essentially become perfect, like holiness movement. I think the holiness movement has a good idea that let's try, let's try to do the best we can. But at the point in which they start saying, well, you haven't arrived yet, so you're not good enough. You got a problem because you're not supposed to walk in darkness. But like he said, he'll keep, if you keep going, he tells you, everybody's sinful. So the, the, so it's like, well, how can you not walk, walk in darkness, but you're sinful? Because you're a sinful being, but you're walking in the light of God. So you're walking towards the light. You're walking, you know, towards something that's better than yourself. Uh, we're going to go real quick to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Well, in this book, it's 2 Corinthians 6. And the thing is, is that one of the issues is with this is that when we're talking about walking in the darkness, one of the easiest ways to determine walking in darkness, honestly, is your fellowship life. If you generally, like, you can't help who you have to work with. 
I mean, some people have to work in a shop where everybody in there has a foul mouth and everybody, you can't get around that. See, you know what? As a matter of fact, I tell people, if you never see somebody ever who questions your faith or makes you have to rely on faith to deal with the situation, you're probably not living a very good life because you're probably living in a, in a you know, cave somewhere. Because we, as long as we're in the world, we're going to be dealing with people. And people that don't know the Bible, people who are hostile to God. So that's going to happen. And we need to be like Jesus, be among the sinners and the prostitutes and stuff and have showing a good example to them. But if you look around and the only friends you have are people who are, you know, drinkers or fighters or at the club every Friday, you know, Friday night type of thing, or, you know, name the thing that they make their God. Because everybody can make anything. They'd be racing ponies, you know, betting on the ponies, that, that, that thistle down or something. But if that's their thing, and they're making that their God, and that's their, the most important thing in their life, and those are the only friends you have, is people who are not in any way connected to God, in any way strengthening your walk, then you might have to reevaluate what your day-to-day uh um, you know, uh, responsibilities are and where your where your heart's at. Because you should be able to take fellowship with other Christians. You even say, well, these people are boring. Well, it might be a little boring, but I mean, you need all kinds of people in your life. You can't have everybody be exciting. I mean, maybe you need a boring Christian in your life to keep you grounded. I mean, that's... A, so, 2 Corinthians 6, and we're going to start just a little because I like always like to have context to... Everything. So we're going to start uh, in the twelfth verse. It says, uh, "It says, ye are not straightened in us, but ye are straightened in your own bowels. Now, for a recompense in the same, I speak unto my children: be be, all, be ye also enlarged." Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Belial. Or what hath part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. If the only people you're yoking yourself up with are sinners, you're going to find yourself having doubts. You're going to have yourself finding. Because guess what? There's a lot of people out there who are sinning. They have some incredibly exciting lives. You might be looking at them and going, wow, look at what they get to do. Very few, <laughs> I said to people, I've never, very few times have I ever avoided doing something sinful because I didn't think it would be fun. <laughs> it's just, that's just the way it is. It's just that moment of momentary fun in that exact moment versus how you feel immediately afterwards. And a lot of times there is a direct 
correlation. I mean, again, with like drinking being one of the most extreme where you have fun for about three hours and then you spend six or seven hours over top of the toilet trying to figure, trying to, trying to undo what you just did. So, yeah, it might seem fun at first, but tomorrow when you're having a hard time concentrating on work or whatever, you're, so if you're, if all you have is you're constantly yoking yourself up with unbelievers, you might need to see what it is. But at the same time, we have the Bible that says that, you know, we are all sinful. That's why we need to be seeking the Lord. So it's, it's, a, it's, always, it's always a delicate balancing act of these things. Try to keep yourself from the world, but you can't avoid the world. You have to be an example of Christ in it. You just have to be an example of Christ in it. And that's what John is getting at with this, is that there's no darkness in the light. So therefore, if you're being pushed to something that's evil, you need to consider who that is and why that is. And just know that that's not God doing that. And you might accidentally slip or fall or do something, but again, that's not God. So you need to understand that, and you know, well, I was doing the right thing. You know, who knows? <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Um, I'm going to start in set verse 7 of first, the first John, verse first. But if we walk in the light as ye, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. See, so he covers every base. He covers every base that we are we are to fellowship with Christ. We're in fellowship with each other because of Christ. But you know, he, he is faithful that if we're if we seek, if we find, if we believe, he will cleanse us. But even though we're cleansed eternally, we do need to continually make, you know, a, an evaluation of ourselves and come back to it. And this is another one. This is gets certain denominations will tell you you have to confess your sins and do various things or various alms or repentance or whatever it is to make up for sins. This is talking about confessing your sins to the Holy Spirit, to God. He already knows. It's just like, and I use this all the time, it's just like when you have a little kid and told the kid not to get into the candy bars or not to get into the chips. And the kid doesn't know that you can hear the, the rapper rustling from the other room. And you hear the rapper rustling and you come in and he's sitting there going, hi, mom. And you're like, were you into the, did you get into the, uh, the potato chips? No. No. And then you go, okay, I'm just giving you a chance to let you know, because if you tell me, I won't be mad. Same thing with God. He's just saying, I already know. Just be open with me. I want, I want, he wants an open relationship with us that is open, where he can pour into us, we can pour into him, you know, and, and he can help strengthen us throughout our life. The only way you can do that is if you're being open. He already knows, so you might as well tell him. If you're just trying to deceive God, you're only deceiving yourself. So for that, he says like that. If you say you have no sin, you're making God a liar. Because God says you do. God knows you do. 
So if you say you don't, you're you're not making me a liar. You're not making God. You're saying God's a liar, which is the problem. So again, that's why it's it's the confessing of the sins. It's not to each other. It's not, it's to God. I mean, there is in James it talks about confessing your faults one to another. Well, that's if you have done a fault to each other, if you've transgressed somebody. If you read earlier, that's another one that's, that they use it out of context because just earlier in the verses, it's talking about people defrauding each other of money. And sometimes it was unknowingly. Like they didn't mean to, but the person did something. They didn't realize it. They didn't pay him. The guy comes back six, seven months later and says, you didn't pay me. And the guy has a feeling that he's probably right. He didn't pay him, but he's going, no, I'm not paying you anyways. Honestly, that's one of those situations where if you can't remember and the guy is insisting you didn't pay him and he just wasn't saying anything because he's trying to be nice, I personally would err on the side of paying him just to keep a brother, just so there's no hardness there. Even if I was, I had a feeling I did pay him. Honestly, I've said this before too. If somebody, if you already paid them and they're trying to get you to pay them again, they probably need that money more than you do. They probably need that money. So even if they are trying to defraud you, by helping them out, maybe you're giving a little bit of a little bit of credit to the Holy Spirit and letting the Holy Spirit work in them. Maybe they might come back and say, sometime later, say, you know, I really wasn't being honest about that. And you then gained a friend. As Paul says, by letting them let yourself be defrauded in little things sometimes, and there you might gain a friend in the in the in God through God, because you're giving room for the Spirit to work. You're not using your own wrath to do it. You're letting the Spirit work because that's that's who's going to handle it in the end. So, confessing, yeah, if you did a fault, you go to the person. Hey, I apologize. I did not do the right thing. And they usually, oh, it's okay. Don't worry about it. You know, you want to go watch the national championship or something like that? Oh, yeah, sure. Then you gained a friend. And so in this case, again, it's confessing sins to God. And the reason why that is, as I said, you can't sin against the person. I can't sin against either one of you. You can't sin against me. We can can trespass each other. We can do something where we become indebted to each other. You can't sin because you're not perfect and I'm not perfect. So... Sin is when you fall short of perfection. Well, I'm not perfect, so you not falling you, you falling short of my perfection doesn't mean anything. You can only sin against God. However, we can trespass each other because we can do wrong by each other. Therefore, that's how you know in the Bible which is which. When they're saying confession, your sins, they're talking about the God because you can only sin to God. In James, when he's talking about your, to your faults, he's talking to each other. Because we fault each other. We do faults to each other. So that's how you can kind of give that. It's a very good way of, even in Greek, they're different, two completely different words. So it's not like somebody's, you know, somebody comes with a big degree and says, oh, this says this and that says that. But they mean, they're two different words, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> they don't mean the same thing. It's not like may I and shall I, you know, where you say, well, in certain contexts, it could be the same word. No, they're not the same. So, again, be honest with God because he wants you to be open so that you have an open and honest and continual back and forth relationship with him. It's the best way to to live your life and it's the only way to grow and to strengthen your spiritual walk 
is because if you're not being continually renewed, then you're, you're essentially being broken down. Because as soon as you walk out of here, the world's going to start breaking you down, breaking down. And if it doesn't, you're going to. Your own mental thoughts are, oh, I'm not good enough, or I'm not, did I make the right decision? You're going to wear yourself down. So the concept is, is if you keep with God, he's going to keep building you back up. So if you're, if, if you're not in constant communication, you're, you're going to keep getting pressed down. But if you are, then you can keep yourself from having, you're always going to have mountains and valleys, but the valleys don't have to be as deep and as long if you keep yourself in the Word and you keep yourself in an open communication with God. If you're sinning and saying, telling God, I'm not sinning, you're going to be keep putting a space between you and God, and you're going to be the one that's, that, that's, that's suffering from that. God doesn't suffer from us sinning. We suffer from us sinning. So it has to do with that opening us and keeping us. We're going to jump to Job 15 real quick, just as our closing. Job 15. Just before the Psalms. So we see with Job, you know, of course, he had a bunch of bad things happen. And while he was always faithful to God, when his friends at first came to comfort him, they comfort him. But then as friends tend to do, they try to start psychoanalyzing the guy. And all of a sudden, they sort of start, they kind of start uh, leading into places that God doesn't necessarily. It's whenever you start saying, well, something happened bad to you because you did something wrong. Bad things happen. Bad things happen to good people, bad things happen to bad people. Good things happen to good people, good things happen to bad people. God, the same God makes the light shine on the just and the unjust. He has his reasons. He really does. But when Eliphaz is talking and, and giving counsel, he's, he goes in and starts sort of doing a thing. And one of the things that's funny is, is he has a very, lot of very honest and very accurate depictions of people because he's talking about the, the issues of people. But yeah, they don't yet later on they get a little they get a little frustrating in the sense that also like they start talking sinful and stuff. But at this point, earlier in the book of Job, his friends really do, they know what they're they, they, they are very, being very profitable to him in the sense that they're, they're saying very, very obvious and very good things. And we're going to start in the 12th chapter first and just read a couple of verses. And so 15th chapter, 12th verse, it says, Why doth thine heart carry thee away, and what do thy eyes wink at? That thou turns thy spirit against God, and lets such words go out of thy mouth talking about vain, vain, any type of vain speech, but especially when you get to the point where you're yelling about God. God, why did you do this? God, he has his reasons, even when they don't seem fair. He has his reasons. And I have a hard time. That's a struggle I have. I'm, I tend to look up and go, come on, come on. God, come on. One time. Just, uh, uh. But so, 
saying, you know, and so back at 13, he says, that thou turns thy spirit against God and let such words go out of thy mouth. What is a man that he should be clean? And he, which is born of a woman, that he should be righteous. Behold, he puts no trust in his saints. Yea, the heavens are not clean in his sight. How much more abominable and filthy is a man which drinks iniquity like water. So, when we're trying to deceive God or to, you know, again, if you want, want to be a part of a holiness movement, that's a great thing. But who are we to proclaim good and that we're good? And not? we, like he said, you know, we drink iniquity like it's water. We love sinful things. You love, even when you think you don't, you really kind of do. You just, you might not do the wrong thing because you've learned, you've lived long enough to know that you don't do it. That doesn't mean it's not still attractive. That doesn't mean it's not still something you, like that you look at and wink at a little bit and kind of, hmm. But the concept is when you start uttering to God, why me? Or what, what are you doing? You know, God, I think I know better than you. What is man that he should be clean? Is he that is born of a woman that he should be righteous? Now, this is a great analogy when you put this with Christ, because the second in the Trinity came down and was born of a woman and managed to live a perfect life. So who can do it? Well, it happened once. And it wasn't by man. <laughs> it was the second Adam. It was, it was by God only that it could be done. And so is the beginning and the end of the entire story, that it's only by God that things work, and it's only because of God that things work. He said, you know, you have to have a Savior. Well, like when, Adam, when Abraham was taking Isaac up on the mountain, said, well, what's the sacrifice? And he said, don't worry, God will provide for himself. God takes care of it. We don't have to. We just have to do the best we can. And the major thing that we can do is to keep telling, asking ourselves, when you feel an affront to yourself, just be like, who am I? Who am I that I'm up? I feel like God did an affront to me. Instead, always try to look at it in the other way. The best thing about the, the Christian condition is, is that it looks at the world upside down. What we see is a terrible thing. He sees is the best thing. When he sees that we see poor and lowly, he sees the kings of heaven, basically. We see rich and desirable, and he sees the lowest. It always turns everything on its head. So when you're feeling, why me? Why would you do this to me? It's probably because he's giving you the biggest opportunity of your life to, to show the goodness of God, or show the mercy of God. And he really is getting inside and giving you an opportunity to live what you say you, within your heart, believe. So, who are we that we should even be clean or even be righteous? No one, really. So, if we put that back in there, we can't proclaim ourselves free. We can't proclaim ourselves free of sin. But we need to try to get as close to God as possible. That closeness to God is what will calm your heart. So that's where we need to try and live our lives, is in a constant state of getting close to God and understanding the mind, the heart, and the character of God. We'll never figure it out, but the closer we get, the better our lives will be. So, like it says, 
confess our sins, do it regularly, study the scriptures regularly. And as this whole, the whole point of this with John is, is that if somebody's telling you that you can arrive at a perfection or there's a secret knowledge, it's so much more simple than that. Pray to God, be mindful of yourself, and be open. Be open to God. And that's the, that's, that'll be basically the entirety of the whole epistle of John. But it opened right there in the front that there's no hidden knowledge. It's all out front. We're to trust in God. He knows the best thing. And so with that, we will close and we'll be done. Dearly Father, I thank you for this day and thank you for this time. I just want you to be glorified in all things and that pray that as we go out, hopefully the roads aren't slick and we'll all be get home safe and that you'll watch these people and protect these people and that you will continue to just guide us in your way that we will be able to do a great and mighty work in your name one soul at a time. We ask for all these things in your holy and precious name, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.